If you look at any pictures mm-hmm. when I was young, when my, my family, my mom and daddy always show me, you know, pictures when you're young, blah, blah, blah. And my shirt's always tucked in, you know, nice and, you know, like a collar and just, you know, really kind of neat and kind of try to try to put me together because they knew that if I went out on my own being a black kid and just being black, there was always going to be a target on my back. That is Demarcus Beasley talking about being a kid in Indiana. Beasley up against Dixon, but not for long. That is wonderful. Demarcus Beasley. 126 caps for the USA Demarcus Beasley. Four World Cups. Title wins across Europe. Co-owner of Fort Wayne FC. An all-time American soccer legend. I, I vividly remember my mom talking to me about this, you know, don't put your hood up. You know, make sure you make sure you can always see your hands. Don't walk around with your hands in your pockets. If you're walking out of the store, don't have your hands in your pockets. Or if you're ever talking to a police officer, make sure they can always see your hands. And it's funny because, you know, I've talked to some of my white friends and they, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I never had that conversation. That is Daryl DK, 21 years old and part of an electrifying new generation of American trailblazers. All is nice dead. Goalkeeper can't get there. And DK can well, this young man is full of ideas and he's full of goals. Striker for Orlando City FC. Nine goals on loan at Barnsley in the second half of the 2021 season. Goals that propelled them towards the playoffs. Our parents were legitimately and seriously, you know, scared when their when their, their kids went out without them. Because yeah. there, there is there is a, a chance that something could happen to them and they didn't even do nothing. You know what I'm exactly. saying? So I, I got the same you know, conversations that, that you did. The conversation you're about to listen to is about race. A conversation between two black American men born nearly 20 years apart. And their experiences, insight and intelligence are going to educate you on what it means to be black in America. How it dictates the way that you are treated at work, in sport, on the street and in your own home. I'm Owen Blackhurst, and for Eurosport, this is Raw. Stories of bravery, determination and talent. DeMarcus was born in 1982, and he grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Darrell was born 18 years later in 2000 in Edmond, Oklahoma. Fort Wayne and Edmond are two predominantly white towns 1,300 kilometres away from each other. They might have grown up in different decades and on different sides of the country, but their introductions to football, they were similar. I, I didn't know that I was the only black person playing. I didn't know. It was me and my brother. My brother and I, that was it. Uh, but I give a lot of credit you know, to my parents that put me in right situations to where I felt comfortable to be able to, to play football and, and just be a kid. And not be a black kid, but just be a kid. But, you know, at, at, at that age, you're still young and you just want to have fun and play and enjoy with your friends. And, you know, my cousin played as well. So that was, you know, refreshing for me at that age. But I never felt like I was out of place. No, it says a lot. I mean, for me, honestly, it's pretty, pretty similar, pretty similar for me. Because, I mean, for me, you know, where I grew up, like even at my school, like in my classes, majority of the time I would be the only black person even then. And same same with playing, you know, playing soccer. I think every single team I was on, I was one of 
one of or maybe one of two you know black kids on the team and i think in terms of it being uh you know feeling welcomed and feeling you know out of place i think i never really felt out of place i think i kind of always felt you know included felt welcomed and you know similar to you i think that's kind of credit to my parents but i will say this that when i did go to school even though there are like a limited amount of like, you know, like other black people at, that went to my school, most of them played, you know, football or basketball or things like that. And when I would be at recess or something like that, going to play, you know, soccer, I would be like one of the only black kids, you know, playing over there. And I, I don't think I was looking back on that and thinking, oh, like, this is weird. But it definitely was apparent that like I was one of the only black kids playing soccer while most of the other black kids were playing football or basketball. Yeah, me uh me as well. But um I, I yeah, obviously when 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 you're young and, and black and, and especially in, in Fort Wayne, I got teased a lot, but it was never about being black. You know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. you know, cause yeah. it, 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 it would be more so, you know, why are you playing soccer? You know, that, that's not even a sport, you know what I'm saying? Cause you know, so yeah. back back in, in my day soccer wasn't big sure. yeah you know soccer played real big. football exactly yeah why don't you play real football you know what i'm saying so it was more so wow yo why are you playing soccer uh but then when they obviously when they saw me play and i was you know i was all right and it was like oh what well, you we're gonna support you statistics show that around 75 percent of players in the nba are black compared to around 25 percent in mls it was a point of difference to be playing soccer and looking back daryl can see the way his sporting attributes were pigeonholed in 2020, a research project by the Run Repeat organization analyzed 2,000 statements from commentaries of 80 games in the world's top leagues. It found commentators were 659% more likely to talk about the power of a player if he had darker skin, and 63% of all criticism of a player's intelligence was aimed at players with darker skin too. It's embedded. When I was a kid, I was just like, ha, ah, like, you know, just kind of right. like laughing it right. off. Yeah. But like now looking back on it, for example, I've always been fast and pretty strong. People would be like, oh, like, like some like, like the guys on the team would joke. They'd be like, man, I wish I was black. Then I could be that fast right. or, you know, I could be that strong or I could kick the ball that hard and stuff like that. And, you know, me, I'm just sitting there like, oh, I must have been like eight, ten. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm like, haha, like, that's funny. haha. But like, you know, like now I'm looking back on it. I'm like, well, that's actually kind of messed up. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like, 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 oh, like you could only do that because, you know, you're black. You could kick it that hard and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, when I was younger, you know, I was ignorant. I didn't, I, I didn't know that, you know, like that was a problem yeah. or see that that was a problem. Of course, they still welcomed me to play on the team and stuff like that. But, you know, in terms of that, like comments like that all the time. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's the bit of the problem now because yeah. people are ignorant about what they say and they don't really, they, they don't want to understand what they say affects, how it affects people. Because black folks, we're always known, because we're always talking about we're fast, we're, we're strong, we're, we, can, we can jump really high and that's it. But yeah. it's, a stereo, it's a stereotype of, of, of black people, but that's all we're good for. And people don't realize the effect that has on white people or other races saying that about us you know what i'm saying I, yeah. I know that yeah we were eight and nine and ten you're saying you're a 10 when you when you heard it and you didn't really understand what they were saying it was just oh yeah you know ha 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 it's funny blah 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 but yeah. you know now as we get older and we experience like you know it's not it's wrong and I, I i want people i'm glad you made the point because i want people to understand even those comments like that affects people you have to really understand 
how, how you word you know your comments because they just think mm-hmm. it's oh it's okay i didn't mean nothing by it but it, it is a for, it's a form of racism because that's all you think we're good yeah. for you know what i'm saying exactly we, we can't we we can't be be smart we can't be intelligent we can't be creative the only thing we're good for is you know yeah. um singing things playing hard. sports yeah, sports, sports yeah, being strong exactly. and running fast yeah you know what yeah, i'm saying exactly. like that's that's one thing that it, it it kills me to this day you know what i'm saying i know exactly. that maybe they don't maybe they don't mean it you know harshly but it's just it's crazy that they still had that same mindset so now you see the difference of when you For were sure. a kid to now you know what i'm saying to now when you're you know you're 20 years old no exactly and i think i think the reason behind that is you know from a young age you know when people do that when people do those things like no one's telling them to stop there i you think go. Like nobody is telling them that like this is wrong, you right. know. Me, me sitting there being an ignorant, you know, eight, ten year old, just laughing it off, is telling them that it is okay. But you know, words, you know, you feel those words regardless if you, if you want to act on them right. or not. Right, right, hundred percent. Fast forward to twenty twenty one, and Daryl has just come off the back of a breakthrough season. DK waits for it to bounce, takes his time, and he's done it again. Daryl DK with a crucial goal for Barnsley. He's ninth of the season. He's first as a pro. He's a folk hero in Yorkshire. He's got caps for the national team. And he's linked with some of the biggest clubs in Europe. But those words that were aimed at him as a kid, he still hears his fellow professionals get called them now. You look at players like Lukaku and, I don't know, maybe another bigger striker, you know, like like Lewandowski, and you think, oh, man. You hear, you hear some people talk about, you know, Lukaku's pace and power and his strength and stuff like that. Meanwhile, you hear about, you know, Lewandowski being like, oh, their their brain, their movement and stuff like that. When like, you know, both of them have, you know, those good qualities, but it's just kind of how how people choose to how people choose to describe their style of play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's just I think that's just a systemic history thing. You know what I'm saying? Back yeah. in 300 years, because that's obviously I don't want to get into, you know, slavery and all that stuff. But that's yeah. that's what we did during Juneteenth. I, I spoke to my aunt, my aunt, and you know, and my great great grandfather. You know, he he was a slave, and she told me all the stories about you know what he did and how he you know survived for the family and what he you know how how strong he was and how you know he did anything he could just to take care of his family. Um, but that's where it comes from, and so it just goes yeah. by generation by generation by generation, and just just that that's what black people are good for. That's it. Yeah. You know, we're powerful. We're strong. Demarcus's career started via the Project 40 initiative. It aimed to convince college soccer players to leave school early to concentrate on becoming a pro. Demarcus moved through the ranks at LA Galaxy, across the Chicago Fire. By the time he was 22, Europe beckoned in the form of PSV Eindhoven. In 2004, American players in Europe were still something of a novelty, and he had to dig in to prove himself to his teammates and their fans. I was ecstatic to go to PSV. Obviously, I, I knew before I went the club's history, who had played there, you know, Renaud over Mario, all those guys, you know, so that's where they got their start. So I was excited, you know, a young kid thinking that I could maybe play for Barcelona or Real Madrid one day. <laughs> it didn't happen, but, you know, that's what, that's, what you, that's what you dream about. You know what I'm saying? That's what you, mm-hmm. you know, you always want to shoot for the, shoot for the stars. And yeah, t- to be honest, it was, it was difficult because I went over there by myself. Um, just because just an American going over to Europe, you know, not knowing the European lifestyle, how the, how how they would you know um, receive me as a person, as a human being, not so much just a footballer. Um, it was great. It was it was great. I mean, one of the 
The first guys that I remember that invited me to his home and him and his family was Andre Oyer. He's a, he's a Dutch legend and he, he opened his arms, you know, for me, you know, for my family. And, I, and all the boys were great. I mean, when you go to Europe, I didn't understand this obviously in the beginning, but now I do. But I, there was no friends. <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, hey man, how you doing? Nice to meet you. You know, welcome. Please. I barely got a good morning. You know what I'm saying? Like they were like, yo, show me what you got. You know what I'm saying? Like you want to come and take my job. You want to come and take this is real. And plus a, a lot of, you know, American football players back then, it wasn't very it wasn't a thing, you know what I'm saying? But you know, after I showed them that, you know, they they could respect me on the field and they could rely on me on the field as far as, you know, how I played and and how I game off with the team. You know, then after that, it was it was fun. We had Brazilians on the team. You know, we had a lot of you know South Americans on the team. So the vibe was great. The Dutch, you know, the, the Dutch players were were amazing with, with Mbamba and Koku. You know, those guys were great. Um, it was just, it was, we had a, a very good ballot. Demarcus won two league titles with PSV. He had a stint on loan at Man City. And then he moved to Glasgow Rangers in 2007. It was here, in a Champions League qualifier against FK Zeta, that DeMarcus was racially abused by the crowd. It was tough. You know, I mean, I had never experienced that before. Uh, I had never been uh, racially abused on the field. I'd never had the monkey chance or anything like that. It was really bad. But every time I touched the ball, you know, the chance. You know the ooh 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 ooh, and every time I took a corner kick, same thing. And I, you know, I got whistled and booed and all this stuff. And it was like I I, I knew what was going on, and I tried not I tried for it not to affect me, you know. But it did, uh, and it and affect me. And to be honest, it did affect me kind of in a in a way where I wanted to prove him, like, you know, I can play football. Demarcus went on to score, 81st minute. He picks up the ball on the left wing. Shimmies. Cuts inside past one, two defenders. And then, from 20 yards, he rifles the ball into the back of the net with his right foot. It's a cracking goal. After the game, Rangers released a statement about the incident. And UEFA fined FK Zeta £9,000 after an investigation. Thinking back now to that night in Montenegro, DeMarcus wonders how people would have reacted if he'd taken action on the pitch. Not taking anything against Rangers, not taking anything against my teammates, but I never, I didn't feel that I was, you know, that I would have that support if I would have walked off the field. 14 years on, and the archaic views that create those situations are still prominent. Black footballers are subject to abuse and prejudice from media institutions, fans in the ground, and people on their phones. They're booed for taking a knee. DeMarcus is full of admiration for the players continuing to protest as the people claiming to support them do anything but. You look at the players now and they, they're bold. You know, they're strong. They, you know, they, you know, excuse my language, they don't take shit from nobody, you know, especially with when it comes to, to racism. And I love that. I love the way that especially footballers are taking, you know, more, taking it more on, on their shoulder to, to try to, you know, kick racism, not just out of football, but out of society. And I wish I had that. You know, when I was younger, you know, because I because I didn't, you know, I, I once we made a complaint, I, I they swept it under and so did I, 
you know, I ain't gonna lie, I did as well. You know, I just tried to play football. So it was a, it was a tough decision. I'll never forget it because that was like the worst, the worst feeling that I ever had actually getting, you know, monkey chance and booed and, you know, throwing things at me when I, when I, when I was taking a corner kick. It was, it was definitely difficult to, to deal with. Daryl is a part of that new generation that isn't taking shit from anyone. And he's carefully optimistic about the positive elements that social media, despite its widespread problems, can provide his generation and beyond. I think with social media, it's kind of nice because, like you said, like you can reach me, but I have 30,000 followers on Instagram. And I think a lot of young players, you know, can reach a lot of people just by kind of, you know, saying their opinions and kind of putting on for a, a good example. And maybe like, for example, DeMarcus, when that happened to you, maybe not everybody knew all the time because it wasn't all over social media. Right. There but was no social example, media back then. <laughs> exactly. And so nobody thought it was necessarily a problem because they may have been ignorant to it. And I think kind of, it's not going to change now. I don't think everything is just going to boom, like boom, we go, my social media posts, you know, vanishes, racism vanishes. But, you know, like I think in terms, you know, making society kind of see that how it actually affects people, how it affects, you know, humans. And, and then also kind of instilling the idea in, you know, young generations to, you know, see and think that is wrong, that to, sh to show them that like that is wrong. Cause for example, a kid sitting in your, in those stands might've thought it's okay. You know, cause they're sitting there like, Oh, these other fans are doing this. And this is, this is okay. And you know, they grow up thinking that stuff like that is okay. But now I think with, social media with you know more people being more vocal about these kind of problems i think it's great because you know it kind of tells people that there is a problem and that we are recognizing that there is a problem and that we need to fix it in his 1963 book of essays called the fire next time james baldwin wrote the following you were born where you were born and faced the future that you faced because you were black and for no other reason. The limits of your ambition were, thus, expected to be set forever. You were born into a society which spelled out with brutal clarity and in as many ways as possible that you were a worthless human being. You were not expected to aspire to excellence. You were expected to make peace with mediocrity. Those limits of ambition that he wrote about almost 60 years ago are brutally apparent when contemplating the spaces, jobs and responsibilities that black people are expected to fill in sports. In the US, across the five North American major leagues, there's only one black majority owner. And in the UK, at the time of recording, there are only four non-white head coaches out of the 92 professional clubs. A 2020 survey by the UK's Digital, Culture, Media and Sport Committee reported this. The fact that no Premier League club and virtually no English Football League club has a black owner, chair or chief executive is a fundamental inequality at the heart of our game. It implicates society in a position whereby it's okay to see black people play sports, but not for them to make decisions. Growing up, my only black coach was my pops, was my dad. You know, that's, that's the only one I had. I had an assistant coach in Chicago, um, Dennis Hamlet. Um, but as far as like a head coach or any type of uh, general manager or president, none, not one throughout my career. You know, 
Um, so it's something that is, 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 is a problem, something that needs to change. Um, I'm a part of a group called SCORE, which we're trying to affect change and try to create opportunities for, for coaches and, and put people in higher positions as far as general managers, sporting directors, presidents. You know, we're trying to put people in those, in those opportunistic positions to try to, you know, further uh, black involvement in those positions. And, and it's, and it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. It's not easy, you know, because for so many years it's just been, you know, white people doing all the, the decision making, you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's tough, man. And, and you, you just look at the st st statistics. This is not something that, you know, I'm just speaking about. Uh, these are facts. You know what I'm saying? And, and it goes across the board from America to Europe to, to everywhere. It's just not seen. You don't see a black coach. You don't see black GMs. You don't see, you know, black presidents. You know, why? Why Why is that? And, it, you know, the other thing is that no one's holding them accountable. And I just think that, you know, as we go through the next 5, 10, 15 years, I hope that, you know, even with groups like myself, like, like mine that I'm a part of, I hope that we can really uh, affect change and create change for, you know, for, you know, years to come. Daryl's manager at Barnsley was Valerian Ishmael, one of the few managers in the English Football League with black heritage. But when he contemplates the number of black people with high-end positions compared to those he's playing the sport with, it just doesn't add up. Everyone's so familiar with, you know, how things have always been in terms, you know, maybe having, you know, a white owner, a white coach, white assistant coach, white this, this, this and stuff like that. Not saying that they're not doing a good job. I think they're I think like the people in, you know, in some of their positions are doing good jobs. But, you know, in terms of the actual representation, you know, in, you know, in teams, in clubs and stuff like that there's a lot of black players, there's Hispanic players, there's all these other players. But when you see, when you look at all these, you know, staffs, there's, there's nothing. And I think you have to kind of have that equal representation because it also gives, you know, the, the precedent that young kids and stuff like that who want to have jobs like that, that is, it is attainable for them that you can be a, you can be a, a black coach, you can coach and be a black coach and be successful, you know, and you, you see these people in the higher ups and you, you want to see the representation. And I do think that there has been a lot of change. I think, I think that there needs to be more. I mean, in our last national team camp, they were talking about all these new programs with trying to, uh, you know, have more black put people, you know, in the staff and the higher ups and, you know, things like that and holding each other accountable, which I think is great. But I mean, I think that's only the beginning, you know, there needs to be actual, like, we can't just be having the conversations. Like I need to actually see, you know, actions and things happening and change that, you talk about, but I want to actually see the actions, you know? Yeah, no, I, I 100, 100% agree. Because black coaches and black members of the hierarchies of football clubs are so rare, DeMarcus sees the pressures on those individuals who do get the jobs crank right up. We've all seen it. As the co-owner of a football club himself, DeMarcus has seen it closer than any of us. I don't think people understand the pressure it is when you are in that position, because it's so rare I look at I look at someone and, and I don't want to speak I'm not gonna speak for him but I you know I know Robin Frazier you know um, he's a, he's a good friend of mine he I was with him in L A and but he has pressure on him you know because he's one of one of the only black coaches in MLS because if he doesn't do well they'll be like oh no we tried it we don't need any more black coaches that's he he's speaking for all of us he doesn't I mean he might not say it I can say it because I'm a fan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know, I know, I know Robin. I'm a fan of his. I love his work. You know what I'm saying? I'm a friend of his. You know, but but that's that's the that's the the crazy 
that's the crazy mentality of it is, is that there's so much pressure on a black person to, to succeed in those positions because we might not get another chance. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and I don't think people understand that, you know, we sit here and talk about, you know, uh, other owners or other, you know, uh, coaches and that and oh, white coaches and white owners and all this stuff. And if they fail, it's going to be another one and it's going to be another one and it's going to be another one. But if, if one of our black coaches, black ownerships, black general managers, sporting directors, they fail, that's it. Like, and that, and that, and that, I'm being real. This is not something that is, you know what I'm saying? This is, you know, I, I mean, obviously I wanted to change, but I mean, where we are right now, that's, that's what it is. And it's not just words because if we don't, it's going to be like, okay, if Robin doesn't do well in Colorado, all right, we tried it. It's done. It's a wrap. I mean, talking about for the whole mm-hmm. MLS, not just for Colorado. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Have a conversation. It's great. Have, that's the start. Holding people accountable. That's the start. But the action and trying to affect it, putting, you know, create opportunities for people to actually succeed and, and letting them, you know, have the, the support in those. And, and when, when they are in those positions to get the support, you know what I'm saying, from the ownership group. And we start to kind of, you know, inkle our way into that, 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 those type of conversations in that area, then we'll be better. But until then, man, it's, it's so much pressure on, on, on a black person or African-American or a minority to do well, because it's like they're for the whole race. And that, and that mm-hmm. is a reality. When people say that politics should stay out of sport, what they really mean is they prefer not to be reminded of things that they choose not to care about. And there is a distinct lack of condemnation and action from the people that we're supposed to think of as representing us. But there are reasons to be optimistic. People are standing up. Institutions are having their heads wobbled. Elite athletes like Demarcus and Darrell are creating more platforms to discuss the things that need to change. In an ideal world, we'd have spent our two hours on Zoom talking to Demarcus about getting to the World Cup quarterfinals when they outplayed Germany. They should have won that. We'd have spoken to Daryl about being part of an exciting generation of young American players, about getting used to the Yorkshire accent, about the excitement of the championship playoffs. But this episode is about race, what it means to be black, and what changes need to happen for people across the world to be given a fair chance. As we get to the end of the conversation, both Daryl and Demarcus agree that there is reason to look forward with hope. I haven't been to many national team camps. I've been to, what, three? Um, you know, I, I don't know how things were before, but to my understanding, they did not have conversations like this about coaches, you know, GMs and staff being involved. But now we literally had someone from the high end come in to us and actually talk about the changes, the accountability, the things that they want to do. I still would obviously like to see some of the change, but, you know, I, I believe this is a start. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm- I'm optimistic, and I say that because it's not just black people that are saying that there needs to be change. You know, when I was young, it was always, and then, you know, when you get, when you have black people that's always saying about, you know, being racially abused and things like that, it's always, it always comes off that we're complaining, you know, and now we're, we're it's like we're, we're getting more, more allies and we're, we're starting to have, you know, the white people that start to see it and they're calling it out. You know, yo, that's racist. You shouldn't do that. And it's making them, it's making them uncomfortable to hear racist remarks or racial act or racial actions. Like Daryl says, it's not going to change overnight. You know, this is a, an ongoing, 
uh, issue and, and a problem throughout society. But the fact that more people, not just black people, are talking about the that there is an issue and it needs to change. I think that's that's where I can be um, optimistic, or that's why I am optimistic about you know the the future of, uh, of not. I mean, it's, it's in, in in the world, not just in in, in football, but in in in, in any, any parts in any walks of life. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take time because the old, you know, the saying goes, you're not born racist. It's taught, you know what I'm saying? So if we can, if this generation can get more people to understand the issues, do your homework, understand the history of where it comes from and where our pain and where the suffer comes from first, and then you can react to affect change in the world as today. I think that's, that, that's where it has to start, but that only can happen when it's not just black folks doing it. It's, it has to be white people, Hispanics, Asian, everyone, you know, on the same page and really trying to, you know, put the world back together because it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a shit show, to be honest. So that, that's, that's why I'm optimistic about it. Raw, Stories of Bravery, Determination and Talent is an original Eurosport series produced by Mundial Studio. The narrator and story editor is me, Owen Blackhurst. The writer and producer is James Bird. And the executive producers are Tyo Papula and Seb White. The assistant producer is Chris Byfield. For Eurosport, the commissioning editor is Mark Asian and the executive producer is Ian Brackley. Archive from Sky Sports, an original music composed by Harry Harris.